one of the most beautiful aspects of the gospel is that Jesus laid aside his rights to accomplish his mission of redemption. Paul explained it to the church at Philippi this way. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. As those who have been redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus, one of the most Christ-like and God-glorifying things that we can do is to imitate Christ by laying aside our rights for the sake of the gospel mission. We imitate Christ. And just as he laid aside his rights to accomplish the mission of the gospel, Christians are often called and have the opportunity to lay aside our rights, our freedoms, for the sake of the gospel mission. Like, for example, a a retired couple who lays aside leisure to invest their energy in retirement, ministering to their family and their church. Or maybe the wife who lays aside living close to her family to partner with her husband in the ministry. Maybe the family who lays aside their desire for a newer car in order to give toward church planting in South Africa. Or maybe the tired Christian who lays aside an evening of downtime to spend it with a friend who's hurting or lonely. See, Christians, we have the freedom to enjoy leisure and kids and grandkids and nicer things and downtime But make no mistake, there are opportunities that are more important than our freedoms. In our sermon text this morning, Paul calls the church at Corinth to imitate Christ by laying aside their rights, their freedoms, for the sake of the gospel. And my prayer is that we'll do the same. So please take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're using one of the black Bibles on the floor, that's page 956. We're looking at chapter 9. Chapters are the big numbers. 
And we're looking at all of the verses, the little numbers in chapter 9. There are 27 of them. This is a long and, by the way, a very familiar chapter to many people. First Corinthians 9 is part of a section of Paul's letter that starts in 8 and ends at the very beginning of chapter 11. So 8, 9, and 10 is all one section in which Paul is addressing one really, really important issue. Eating food offered to idols. <laughs> that might not sound like a very important issue to you because we don't run into food offered to idols in our culture very much. But it was a really big deal in Corinth and in the wider uh, church and cultures of that day. And so remember that Paul is writing to this local church there in ancient Corinth in about A.D. 52 or 54, and they had one big problem that was underneath about 11 different issues that he brings up in this letter. Their one big problem is a false sense of spirituality. They thought they were uber-spiritual and mature. But Paul is writing so that they understand that true spirituality is defined by the cross of Christ. See, the Christians at Corinth thought that they had the right, the freedom to eat food that had been offered to idols. They said idols are nothing. It's just meat. What's the big deal? But it wasn't merely eating meat that had been offered to idols. What they were doing was also going to dinner at the local temple. They didn't think it was any big deal when, when the local temple held a festival in honor of the, the god Apollo or the goddess um, uh, Athena. And so they would go to these local festivals. And Paul says, listen, this is not just about eating meat that's been offered to idols or going to family festivals. This is about participating in idolatry. They're honoring their God and you're participating in it. They're having their version of communion. And there you are eating along with them. There's a lot of gray areas in the Christian life, friends. Eating food offered to idols is not one of them. So Paul takes chapter 8, 9, and 10 to explain to them that they need to restrict what they consider to be their Christian freedoms. You might give a little subtitle to this particular portion of the letter. Things that are more important than your freedom. And he gives five of them. You might remember from last week that uh, the first one in chapter eight is consider your weaker brothers. In other words, love your weaker brothers more than your freedom. There are some people who used to be idol worshipers, and what you're doing will cause them to go right back into idolatry again. Love your brother more than your belly. The second consideration 
is actually our sermon text today, chapter 9, all of it. Consider our mission. And Paul says, lay aside your freedom for the sake of the gospel mission. What's more important than your freedom? Our gospel mission is. Number three, chapter 10, he gives three of them. He says, consider the temptation to sin. Be careful, be careful, Christian, that your so-called freedom doesn't lead you into sin. The fourth consideration that restricts what they consider to be Christian freedom is consider religious associations. In chapter 10, verse 14 through uh, 22, he says, be sure your freedom doesn't associate you with false religions. You might feel free to go, but if it's associating you with that false religion, then that confuses the gospel. And then finally, at the end of chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 11, the fifth consideration, consider the circumstances. And here he explains how sometimes it might be okay to eat meat offered to idols but most of the other time it's not. You know when it's okay to eat meat offered to idols? When you don't know it's meat offered to idols. When it's not labeled in the market or when you're over at your neighbor's house for a barbecue. So govern your freedom by the good of others and the glory of God based on the circumstances at hand. That's sort of an overview of this issue of meat that's been offered to idols. And though we don't deal with that issue very often, this is a really important issue for us because there are many things that we might think we have the freedom, even the right to do. But Paul wants us to know very clearly, Christian friend, church, there are more important things than your freedoms. So our sermon text today is actually point number two of his five. All of chapter 9, Paul reasons why they should restrict their Christian freedom. In chapter 9, he says, I want you to consider our mission. And Paul is going to encourage the church at Corinth and us to lay aside your freedom for the sake of the gospel mission. So in chapter 9, what Paul does is he gives a personal example. Just look down through all of chapter 9 there, and you'll notice that he is giving a personal example of how he lays aside his freedoms for the sake of the gospel. And the key word here is that Paul has a right. He has a legitimate entitlement. He has a freedom to do something. It's a comfort that's due him. This is Paul's right. Look at verse 4, 5, 6, 12, 15, and 18. You're going to see right, 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 right. Paul is emphasizing in verse 1 through 14, if you're taking notes, write this down. As an apostle, I have the right to make a living by the gospel. That's my right. It's a freedom that I have as an apostle to earn a living by the gospel. So look in verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Look at verse 6. 
Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Look at verse 14. The Lord commanded, that's Jesus, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Paul says in verse 1 through 14, as an apostle, I have the right to make a living by the gospel. But, verse 15 through 27, the rest of the chapter, but I willingly lay aside that right, quote, for the sake of the gospel. Even though I have this right, I willingly lay aside that right for the sake of the gospel. Look at verse 15. Are you looking there in your Bible? Verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I willing, uh, pardon me, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Verse 18. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. And why, verse 23, I do it all, underline this, for the sake of the gospel. Chapter 9, in brief, just in a nutshell, here's Paul's point. As an apostle, I have every right to make a living by the gospel from the church at Corinth, but At great personal sacrifice, I willingly lay aside that right for the sake of the gospel. See, Paul had been called by God as a frontline missionary to take the gospel where it had never been before. And his desire was to be able to preach this gospel with no strings attached whatsoever. He wanted to be able to preach the gospel freely so that it didn't get entangled with any kind of money or financial issues. And so he, at great personal sacrifice, he worked as a tent maker to provide for his own needs. And along with working on the side as a tent maker, he received support from other churches that were already in existence and already planted so that he could take the gospel and plant new churches. So he uses this personal example and calls the church at Corinth to do the same. Look at the end of chapter, flip over the page, chapter 10 and the beginning of Verse 11, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but the advantage of many that they might be saved. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You see that? Chapter 11, verse 1. Church at Corinth, Christians in Winchester, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so to make his main point as clear and compelling as possible, Paul offers five proofs 
that he has this right and three reasons for laying aside his right. So now that we have a general understanding of what we're doing here in chapter 9, then I just want you to let you know that we're going to go through these five proofs very, very quickly because they're all specific to Paul being an apostle, and we're not apostles. <laughs> but we're going to slow down when we get to his three reasons because his three reasons provide direct motivation for every one of us to lay aside our freedoms for the sake of gospel mission. So take a look at chapter 9, verse 1 through 14. Paul gives five proofs that establish his right to make a living from the gospel. I mean, Paul needed food and clothes just like you do. Where's he going to get money? Well, he has every right to earn a living, make a salary from the churches that he serves, including the church at Corinth. So he establishes that right. And he does it by giving five proofs. First of all, he uses the other apostles. The other apostles in verse 1 through 6. Read this. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are you, church at Corinth, not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, who is Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Paul says, I'm an apostle. You want indisputable evidence that I'm an apostle? Just look in the mirror, Church of Corinth. The fact that God used Paul to establish the Christian community, the church in Corinth, uh, confirms his apostleship. And as an apostle, Paul has the right to do what the other apostles are doing, namely earning a living from the gospel. Why would he want to earn a living from the gospel rather than making tents? So that he can fully devote himself to the gospel to the preaching of the gospel and traveling around so that his day was not um, distracted or encumbered by his work. He wanted to be free, but he willingly laid aside that right so that he could do something that he loved more, namely offering the gospel, quote, free of charge without any financial strings attached. So, proof number one, the other apostles, they're doing it. I have the right to do it too. Proof number two, verse seven. Well, not just the other apostles, but think about other vocations. Now, what are vocations in that day? Namely, soldiers, planters, and shepherds. So look at verse seven. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? 
In other words, Paul says, look, I have the right to make a living from the gospel, just like a soldier, just like a a vine dresser, just like a shepherd. Soldiers, they're given all their equipment and rations. They, They don't serve at their own expense. Planters, what do they do? They eat from their own vineyard. Shepherds, they drink from the flock. Proof number three. And not just the other apostles and the other vocations, but now he brings in God's law. The God's law that he gave to Moses. And he, and he gives this as the authority for what he's about to say. Verse 8 through 12. Proof number three, God's law. Look at verse 8. Do I say these things on human authority? In other words, just because other apostles do it and because other vocations do this? No, 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 no. He says... Does not the law say the same? Look at verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Can you see that? Don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it for the ox that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope. The thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Look at verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So he brings in God's law as a theological argument and proof that he has this right. Look, if God demands... that the ox enjoys the grain while it's treading. If God makes sure that the farmers, verse 10, live off the crops that they have sown, then how much more should gospel ministers who sow spiritual things in God's field reap material things from that same field? And Paul in verse 12 points out that, by the way, you you have been supporting other people. But you didn't support us because we didn't take advantage of that right. It would have been our freedom. But we didn't want to. There's a reason for that. Remember, he's establishing this as a right. Why? Because when you and I are faced with decisions like this, what wells up in my soul? But this is my freedom. This is my right. I ought to be able to. Paul says, you're right. But there's more important things than your freedom. Proof number four out of five. Proof number four. So far, he's been talking a lot about agriculture. So he says, well, maybe maybe I'll bring in one from religious practice. Let's talk about the clergy, the priests. Proof number four from religious practice, verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple 
get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Where do the priests get their food? How do the families of the priests eat? From the sacrifices that people bring in for God. Go back and read sometime Numbers and Leviticus and you'll see that God gave the priests and their families, quote, his portion, which happened to be the best portion. God made sure to take care of the priests and their families from the meat from the altar, quote, all the best of the oil, wine, grain, first fruits of what they gave to the Lord. God says, quote, I give to you as your perpetual due. That's how God takes care of his people. I mean, his priests through his people. Paul said it's the same thing with the apostles. God takes care of the apostles through his church. It was my right. One final proof. Okay, Paul, we get it. But Paul's going to come off the top rope now. The most significant proof of all. Jesus commanded it, instructed it to be this way. Mm. Look at verse 14. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Wow. This is how Jesus designed gospel ministry to be. We know that. Where is this specific command? In all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all three record Jesus sending his disciples out on mission to preach the gospel to Israel with these instructions. Listen, and think about how strange this is. Jesus sending 12 guys out to preach the gospel. Here's his instructions. Carry no money bag. No knapsack. No sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. Why? For the laborer deserves his wages. Jesus sent his disciples out to preach his gospel. And he said, here's how you're going to make a living. You're going to trust God through his people. That's how God always does it. Old Testament, New Testament, modern day, doesn't matter. The gospel ministers trust God through his people. That's how guys like me, earn a living. And Paul says, I had the right to do that. Here's five proofs. Verse 15. But, but, verse 15, I have made no use of any of these rights. And by the way, I'm not writing this now to secure any provision from you. I'm not trying to get your money now. 
And in the last half of the chapter, after proving his right, and he did so because our rights are always front and center, blinking before our eyes. He spends the last half of the chapter giving his three reasons why he willingly, joyfully laid aside his right. Hey, don't pity me. I love something more. I get to do something better. This is not obligation. This is not have to. This is get to. Spends the last half of the chapter giving three gospel reasons why he laid aside his right. And let me tell you, friends, they are good. Reason number one, verse 12. Look back at verse 12. Reason number one, verse 12. If others share this rightful claim on you, do we do uh, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything. Why? Rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Reason number one: He doesn't want to hinder the gospel. Let me say that again. Why did Paul lay aside his right? Because he would do anything other than hinder the gospel. How would receiving financial support hinder Paul's gospel ministry in Corinth? If all the other apostles are doing it, if this is the way priests do it and the way gospel ministers are supposed to do it and the way Jesus says, then how would it hinder in Corinth? In fact, this is Paul's MO everywhere he went around the world. Well, first of all, in Corinth in particular, it might align him with the professional sophists who debated and made speeches in public for show. Do you remember us talking about that at the beginning of this series? They were professional orators, professional debaters. And just like the uh, Ismithian games, they would come to town and they would put on their show and they would wow the crowds and the crowds would throw their money at them. They would be hired literally for dinner parties to give speeches and they would be paid by the wealthy in Corinth. And Paul says, that ain't me, friends. I'm not doing this for the money. And I don't want to be confused with the professional sophists that come to town. Number two, I suggested it, it could confuse him with the false teachers who peddled the gospel to fleece the flock. Now that's still going on today, isn't it? How many televangelists, how many crusaders all over the world have preached the prosperity gospel? Listen, if you'll just sow a little bit of money, God will give back more. Sow a little money. Where do you sow that money? Right here, my pocket. God will bless you. You just slow, sow your money here and you'll get a lot more from God. Paul says, I don't want any part of that. I'm not a false teacher who's in this for the money. I suggest also that just in every situation, it could cause some to think that the gospel comes with strings attached. This guy's only doing this to make a living. He can't do anything else, so he's a preacher. That's been thrown at me at least once or twice. Paul says, 
I lay aside, I willingly lay aside this right because I don't want to hinder the gospel. And note what he says. Please look at verse 12 again. We endure anything. Oh, but he probably didn't. Really? Have you seen the lists of the suffering that Paul endured because of the gospel? But most specifically to Corinth, interestingly enough, in chapter 4, verse 11, Paul said he was exhausted because of making tents. He says this, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor working with our own hands. This guy wasn't driving a Mercedes. What did he say? We're hungry and thirsty. We don't have on J. Crew clothing. We're homeless. And we're exhausted working with our hands all day long. Why? To bring the gospel to you, Corinth. He reminded them in his next letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he reminded them, when I was with you, you ready? I'm quoting his second letter. I was in need, but I did not burden anyone. He reminded them, we accepted support from other churches in order to serve you. When Paul says we'll endure anything rather than hinder the gospel, he means it. He willingly laid aside his freedom, his rights, so that the gospel would not be hindered. I wonder if we live that way. Is the gospel more important than our rights so that we wouldn't do anything to hinder the gospel? Listen, friends, if that activity would put an obstacle in front of someone, if that activity, whatever it is, whatever is on your mind, if that decision, that choice, that place, that activity, that thing, whatever it is, hinders the gospel, we ought to be willing to lay it aside because there's some more things more important than our freedoms. Reason number two. Reason number two, verse 15 through 18. Do you see pretty nice little paragraph there from 15 through 18? He gives a second reason. He says, you know what? want to know why I uh, lay aside my rights? Because I have a greater reward in the gospel. Not than the gospel, but a greater reward in the gospel. In other words, there's something I love more than my freedoms. What? Hmm. Let's read 15 through 18. I have made no use of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision for. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach 
the gospel. Verse 17, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Here's what he's saying. Do you hear his heart? I'd rather die than get, give up something. What is he, what's he so passionate about? Namely, there's something I love even more than simply preaching the gospel. There's something I boast in. What's a boast? It's something I glory in, get excited about. This drives me. There's something that drives me even more than preaching the gospel? Come on, that's weird. That sounds, that sounds off. So then he explains. Verse 16 and 17. Preaching's my stewardship. It's... It's the least thing that I can do. It's God's calling on my life. Look at verse 16. There's a necessity laid on me. God has placed on me a divine compulsion to preach the gospel. My life is not my own. I don't have a choice about preaching the gospel. But you know what I do have a choice about? Whether I do it for free or not. So what I love to do is work hard so that I can offer the gospel to you freely. Man, I love that. I have to preach the gospel. Not like I don't want to preach the gospel, and I have to. It's like not a choice. I'm the servant of Christ. He's called me to preach the gospel. But I get to serve you by doing it without any financial provisions. There's something Paul loves. So he says, I went, look, don't pity me. This is not a have to. I get to do this because I'm getting what I love more. I have a greater reward preaching the gospel free of charge. Wow. I wonder what really we're passionate about. What would you do free of charge, even if nobody was looking, even if nobody ever knew it? It just is your passion. And, and does that thing have anything to do with Jesus and his gospel? Reason number three. He won't, wouldn't dare hinder the gospel. He has a greater reward in the gospel. And now number three, he's on a mission with the gospel. Man, Paul is on a mission 
with the gospel. Verse 19 through 27, Paul's mission, Paul's goal in life is to be used by God to win as many people as possible to Christ through the preaching of the gospel. Look at verse 19, that I might win more of them. Verse 22, that by all means I might save some. That's how important the gospel is to Paul. He wants people to be Come Christians to become disciples of Jesus, and so it lights his fire and fuels his life. And he explains that his mission, just like any mission, is going to require two things. Verse 19 through 23, it's going to require self-sacrifice. In verse 24 through 27, it's going to require self-control. If the Christians will imitate him as he is imitating Christ, by laying aside their rights for gospel mission, there too, they too are going to need spirit-empowered self-sacrifice and self-control. Church in Winchester, Christian friend, if you are going to live on mission for the gospel and glory of Christ. It's going to require self-sacrifice and self-control. So let's read this. Accomplishing this mission requires self-sacrifice. Verse 19 through 23. God's word. 19. You looking? For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all so that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law. Verse 21, I became as one outside the law, not not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? That I might win those outside the law. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. Would you mind reading out loud with me the next sentence in verse 22? Read it out loud. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some, period. And why? I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul's on a mission, and to accomplish his mission, verse 19, he makes himself a servant to all. It's going to require self-sacrifice. He becomes their slave. He becomes a servant to how many people? All people. Verse 22, he becomes all things to all people. You know why? Because slavery to Christ 
calls us to be servants to everyone around us. That's the gospel. Paul became a servant to three different kinds of people here, Jews, Gentiles, and the weak. And remember, the weak are those who were formerly pagan worshipers, idol worshipers, who are now become Christians. And he says, I do all of that to win them as many as possible, as many as I can possibly win that God will use me. So to win is not merely evangelism. It's not merely bringing people to Christ. It's the full scope of discipleship from becoming a Christian to persevering as a Christian. We know that because the weak are already Christians. What he's just described here is everyone inside the church at Corinth. There's Jews, there's Gentiles, and there's weak people there. And he says, I became a servant to all of you because I wanted to win you to Christ and so that you will stay in Christ. To accomplish his mission, he becomes, quote, all things to all people. Boy, is that a loaded phrase. But friends, Paul was not an opportunistic chameleon. So that when he was with the Jews, he did whatever the Jews did and masqueraded as a Jew. And when he was with the Gentiles in Corinth, he acted like a Gentile in Corinth. No, not at all. For example, to reach the Gentiles in Corinth, Paul did not go to the idol temple celebrations and eat meat with them. Carson cautions that this is not a license, quote, for unlimited flexibility. Paul is flexible, but he is not infinitely elastic. I love that. Paul never modified the message of Christ crucified to make it less scandalous to the Jews or less foolish to the Gentiles. So what does this mean? Augustine is helpful here. What does it mean that Paul becomes all things to all people? Augustine explains that Paul thought sympathetically, lived empathetically, just like a nurse with the patient. In humility and love, Paul deliberately identifies, sympathizes with those he seeks to win. He thinks like they think. He puts himself in their place. He adapts himself to minister the gospel to them in the most effective way possible. I become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. And in this way, my friends, he is imitating Christ. Jesus became what we are so that he could make us what he is. The incarnation is Jesus becoming human, to rescue us from sin and death and hell. Jesus laid aside his rights and sacrificed himself even to the point of death on a cruel 
torture chamber of a cross. Died so that we could live. Paul says it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul's on a mission. He's on a mission. And that mission requires self-sacrifice. Verse 24 through 27, the last point. It also requires self-control. It requires self-control. In one of the most famous portions of this chapter, often known but rarely known why Paul said it, he uses athletics, a really cool illustration that we all resonate with, especially runners among us like Courtney. Look at verse 24. He says it doesn't just require self-sacrifice, but achieving this goal Accomplishing this mission requires self-control, just like every athlete knows. Look at verse 27, 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. You hear that, Christian? Run. What does he mean? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul says, if I'm going to achieve this goal and accomplish this mission, it requires me to have the same kind of intense self-control that every runner knows if they're going to win the race and every boxer knows if he's going to win that match. He says the big difference, they run to get a perishable wreath. Wreaths were made out of laurel or pine, and I found out this week, celery. Celery. I just trained for three years. I ran unto the point of exhaustion, and I get celery. Paul's point. The athlete's glory fades almost as fast as their crown does, but not us. Christian, your self-sacrifice, your self-control, you laying aside your rights, whether in retirement or when you'd rather have downtime, you laying aside your rights has an eternal reward, namely, the soul of your neighbor or your family member. Namely, the well done 
from your father. Because God, just like he used Paul, will use you to display his gospel to others. Now, friends, listen, we're not apostles. Hardly anybody else in the room except for this guy up here is a vocational pastor. But we're all called. We're all members of the church. And we have been given a mission to live our lives, to put the gospel on display in our normal sphere of life to everyone around us. And it's going to require laying aside your rights. But boy, it could also be your joy to lay aside your rights. So question, what freedoms might you lay aside for more important gospel opportunities? Maybe the freedom to have more money in your savings account or have nicer things so that you can invest your money, live on mission financially, and help your local church or churches around the world. Maybe you lay aside your right to downtime, me time, to extend yourself to somebody you really know could use a friend right now. Somebody who's hurting. Seems like a small thing, doesn't it? but it's your thing. Maybe you lay aside your right to your comfort zone to have that friend you've always been looking for so that instead you could be the friend that somebody else needs. Whatever it is, friend, it'll be worth it because our mission is to live for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, how he laid aside his rights, and it's, it is our hope, it's our salvation. And that good news fuels us, motivates us to do the same thing, to lay our lives down, to imitate Christ and to just live on mission to serve others. But so often we're selfish. So often we, our freedoms and our rights are way more important than whatever the gospel might achieve right now. So I pray that you would fuel us, show us the glory of Jesus, so that we would live out the gospel of Jesus every single day in our homes and neighborhoods and workplaces and schools. Please make much of Jesus through our church, corporately and individually. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.